You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Minutes to go on the five-minute power play to the middle. A shot. They score. They're running wild in Ontario. It's 7-2 rain. The Ontario Reign are in the win column after two wins over San Diego and Bakersfield on the road last weekend. Welcome back to the Reign Check. Jared Schaffern and Josh Schaefer with you. Today we are discussing the 10 biggest questions that we could think of that impact the Ontario Reign season. Now, obviously, you know, this is our best guess. There could be other questions that crop up during the year that also would be important. We'll answer them on later episodes, but... For today, we are going to jump right into it, and as Jesse always does with all the Kings men, we start with the other teams in the division, which is a little tough because you never know how everyone else in the division is going to be doing. It's a couple games into the season already at this point when we're recording this, so we're just going to kind of use what we've seen from some of these other teams to guide us through, but Josh... Who are some of the best teams that we'll have to look out for in the Pacific and who maybe the rain are going to be their toughest opponents that they face this year? Well, Jared, I think I know where to begin, but I'm not really sure where to end. And, you know, if, if you've been listening to or watching our, our first couple of broadcasts to start the year, um, we've talked about this a little bit on the air a few times. It's a really good division every year, but this year I feel like the division is very, very good and very competitive. Obviously, it's a really good spot for guys to play in. The travel is is good in this division. There aren't many very long bus trips. Um, and then the quality of the Pacific Division is really, really good. And this year, maybe perhaps more than ever, obviously the sample size is very small to start. But there are already some teams that are off to really good starts. And there are a few teams that I thought were going to be really good and still think could be pretty good that aren't off to great starts. So the first team I'll mention is I think you have to look no further than the reigning Western Conference champion, the Coachella Valley Firebirds, Ontario's closest rival, at least to the to Toyota Arena. Um, and uh, and that's the Firebirds. You know, it was a good series last year. The rain came up with a couple of thrilling victories um, that required uh, more than just 60 minutes. Um, a couple of big wins out against the Firebirds in Palm Desert. And I think that's the first team that you kind of have to circle on your calendar this year, especially when the rain are hosting the Firebirds at Toyota Arena, um, expecting them to be a really, really good team this year, um, just like they were last year. I think it goes without saying that with them being the Kraken affiliate, the Kraken have only been around for two full seasons now. This is their third. Their prospect pool is not as deep as some of these other teams because there have not been very many drafts for them to uh, add prospects to their system yet. It was the same thing for Vegas and Henderson a couple of years ago. So right now they have a lot of veterans, a lot of players in their system who I think would be considered AHL veterans, but are still relatively young guys like Cole Lind, you know, jump out as somebody who was terrific last year. Alexander True was a guy they had last year who was relatively young, but a veteran in the AHL. They've got tons of guys like that this year, and now they're starting to add in some of their prospects, so they'll be a good team. Um, the San Diego Goals obviously beat beat the rain on back-to-back nights to start the season until the rain spoiled their home opener this past Friday. Uh, the Henderson Silver Knights are off to a 4-0 start, so there are some good teams in the division. I think those are the three that I'm going to highlight, at least as of right now. One, because we've seen San Diego more than anybody so far, and uh, two, the other two, because those are teams that are off to good starts. And also, I really like the way that their roster has kind of turned out over the offseason and what the NHL clubs have done to bolster their system, especially their primary affiliate in the American Hockey League. It is a criminal omission that you did not mention the Calgary Wranglers, who were the best team during the regular season last year, and the MVP, their best player, Dustin Wolf, is back. So I don't know how I had you just to let, made it I through. I had to give you somebody. All I could, of that. I had to leave somebody for you. So the Wranglers, clearly a team, they've started off pretty well at the time of this recording. They have not lost in regulation 3-0-1 in their first four games. They have the best goaltender in the league for the last two seasons, Dustin Wolf, a native of, of California, who we've seen play. We He's 
well-documented, owned the rain, but they still have really good, solid, big defensemen. Ilya Soloviev is back. Nick DeSimone is on the roster. Uh, Jan Kuznetsov, Sam Jardine is a guy who made their team, and he's actually signed in Greenville, but he made the Wranglers, and he's still there. We talked with Andrew Lord about about him. Jeremy Poirier is there, so the defense is solid. And then you look up front, uh, and they have another uh, some great players. Connor Zary is back on the roster. Uh, Martin Pospisil, Adam Klapka, Alex Gallant is giving them some physical toughness. Clark Bishop is back. Um, you know, obviously Brett Sutter is a great captain. Mitch McLean is back as well. So they're they're a rough and tumble team. They're maybe not the most skilled team. Uh, like Josh mentioned, I would think that you know Coachella. Maybe Henderson is a little bit more skilled. And even, you know, San Diego, Bakersfield, those teams are a little more skilled. But the Wranglers represent a rough and tumble brand of hockey. And they've got excellent goaltending. They're going to play good defense. So to me, they are the team that I'm still the most concerned with. I do agree that you have to mention Henderson now. Uh, The Silver Knights coming in here 4-0. They are at the top of the Pacific Division at this time of recording. And last year, they missed the playoffs. So this is a completely different team that still on the goaltending side, Yuri Patera leading the way in net. But they've bolstered their rest of their whole roster. Um, and they still have some really good players like Brendan Brisson that is back. Uh, still a, a high-level prospect, former rain forward Sheldon Rempel is back. Gage Quinney, their captain, is back. Um, they've got Lucas Cormier on the back end. You know, Dyson Mayo scored a couple goals earlier on this season. Uh, Leighton Ahak is a, a pretty solid defender for them. So when you look at the Henderson roster, it is pretty well assembled as well. So I think that gives a, a pretty good basis of who the Rain are contending with. I think that Marco Sturm and the coaching staff would argue that these these games against these other teams are more about how well the Rain are playing than about their opponents. I mean, you, you look at the San Diego series – and you could see some clear defensive miscues that the rain committed that if you commit those against any team, you're probably not going to win games. And then when they went on the road and won games against San Diego and Bakersfield, they were much better defensively. They got good goaltending. And I think you could argue that no matter where you are, whether you're in Calgary, Henderson, Abbotsford, or Bakersfield, if you play that way, there's a good chance you're going to be able to win. So the coaching staff and and you know the the way that the team is rep is made up, they would say we just got to play our best game. But we know that you know what sometimes there's a guy like Dustin Wolf that steals a game or two. Yeah, and that's the the biggest downside I think for the rain when it comes to facing Calgary is 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 Dustin Wolf is a player that steals games has done that against the rain. Doesn't matter how many consecutive games Quentin Byfield scores a goal against Dustin Wolf. I mean, that guy might let in that one to QB, but he was robbing everybody else. Um, and then going back to what you said about Calgary, the one good thing for the rain is that uh, Calgary did lose its leading goal scorer over the past couple of seasons. Matthew Phillips, terrific player, was a second-round pick, never really got a chance with the Flames, um, left for the Washington Capitals, made the NHL roster, and scored his first NHL goal the other night at home against the Calgary Flames. So... That was kind of cool to see him do that, but he's a player that they're they're losing out on this year. But again, like I think it kind of goes back to what you said. They were a really complete team last year. They are now a team that does not wow me, at least on paper, when it comes to overpowering offense. And they were kind of like that the past couple of years, too. This year, I feel like you've got a lot of the same players, but they're a completely different team. Also, without their head coach, Mitch Loves, um, joined that Capitals staff as well. Um, but they still have so many returners to the point where they're a team that is built to win playoff games. And I think that's the difference between so many teams in these in the AHL, too, is you can have an overpowering offense. Like you look at the Calder Cup final last year. Coachella Valley was one of the most overpowering teams in the league, and they played a Hershey team that was built to win in the playoffs and to grind out wins. And they won the Calder Cup against the Firebirds. So it's interesting to see the way that this division is built this year. I think even the Rain are one of those teams that is more built to win games rather than just score six goals a night and blow everybody out. I think the team is built in a more um, in, a, in a deeper way so that they can be more consistent. And I think there are a lot of teams in the division this year that are built in a similar way, which is a little bit different from years past. We're going to move on to question number two. 
And this deals with during the preseason, the rain had an unexpected, well, maybe somewhat unexpected uh, thing that they had to adapt to. And Marco Sturm has mentioned it a couple times, but Samuel Fagimo claimed off of waivers by the Nashville Predators, a guy who had been with the rain in each of the past three seasons, a second round pick of the Kings that was counted on as a a big development piece, a, a prospect that we talked a ton about during this podcast in the past couple of years. He gets claimed by the Nashville Predators. He's with the Preds. He could come back. It's it's not uh, completely out of the out of the realm of possibility that he does rejoin the Reign at some point if the if the Predators put him back on waivers. But for right now, he's a member of Nashville, and the Reign have to replace his offense. So, Josh, who is replacing the offense that Samuel Fagimo provided the last three years? It's an interesting question because a year ago we asked this question: Who is going to be the team's leading goal scorer without Martin Furk? And I feel like the question was kind of answered by this player could do it. Leah Anderson could do it or Samuel Fagimo could do it. For me, this is a question or this is an answer that includes more than just one player. I think the rain need Martin Kromiak to take another step up this year. He was great in the second half of the season, scored 15 goals for the rain as a rookie. I think they need even more from him, especially on the power play. And Marco Sturm has told us that that's a right handed one time shot from the circle that the rain do not have anymore in Samuel Fagimo. They've got something similar in Martin Kromiak, but he's younger. He's still developing, just like Fagimo was, but he's a player that, at least at the AHL level, is not as developed and well-versed as Samuel Fagimo was. So they need him to do that, especially on the power play. Somebody else, Charles Udon, a newcomer, the top power play goal scorer in the American League last year from the Colorado Eagles. He's a player that already has a couple of goals under his belt with the rain. Two goals, a handful of points, and now four games this season. He's a player that the Rain are going to need. And then on top of that, two guys that missed a lot of time last year that I don't think are going to light the lamp on an incredibly an, an incredible you know level this year. Uh, Akil Thomas and Alex Turcotte, but they contribute to the offense in a number of different ways. I don't think that Rain fans should expect Alex Turcotte and Akil Thomas to rip 30 goals each this year. But they're guys that are going to be huge parts of the power play huge parts of special teams and are going to rack up a lot of points if they stay healthy. So I think it comes from a couple of different ways. It's not just going to be one guy that can fill that void that Fagimo left when he was claimed off waivers. It has to be a collection of players that are able to contribute to the offense consistently, whether they're racking up 20, 30 goals or not. I agree with you on Udon. Obviously he is somebody who is going to get his goals and you could argue, well, you're also trying to replace the offense lost with Leas Anderson as well, who is not with the rain. Um, but Fagimo throughout the summer when he was uh, when he was re-signed, it was, okay, well, this guy is at least in the organization. If he makes the Kings, then that's a spot that the Kings are going to send somebody else down to Ontario. If he doesn't make the Kings, he's probably going to be with the rain. Well, <laughs> he didn't make the Kings and he didn't make the rain because Nashville claimed him. I do think... Like I said, Udon becomes a obviously a, he's more of a veteran, so maybe he's the guy who replaces Leah Anderson. And then you kind of look for for Martin Kromiak to be that guy that replaces Fagimo, and maybe the guy who replaces Kromiak, Francesco Pinelli, who's a young player. I don't think he's ready to put up any type of big numbers yet, but Pinelli obviously is a guy who I think in the first half is going to have to get his legs underneath him. Then maybe he could be a little similar to what Martin Kromiak provided last year during the second half. But two other guys that that you did not mention who I think deserve to be in the conversation. Number one is Tyler Madden because you look at Tyler Madden as a guy who's a little bit older. Uh, He is also now in his fourth pro season. And you look like you got to expect that he is continuing to develop and he should be knocking on the door of the NHL. He he's really not there yet, but you need to expect that from a from a guy like Tyler Madden. He did score two goals in in Ontario's game against Bakersfield last Saturday, which were huge for the Rain to get that win over Bakersfield. If he starts to produce offense on a consistent basis, and and he like in his defense, like I said, you know, he's maybe not necessarily bringing the same type of offense that Fagimo is with that lethal shot, but he did score 20 goals last year. So it's reasonably it's reasonably understandable to think maybe he'd get up to 25 this year as a guy who is still developing. He's hit the 30-point mark the last two years. The other player I think we need to mention is Mikhail Maltsev, who is someone who I think when he gets his legs underneath him, again, not sure that we can expect 30 goals. That seems like a lot, but Definitely a guy who can be a consistent offensive contributor. Definitely a guy who probably could hit 20 uh, 
if he starts finding his play, and he's going to be given every opportunity. He's out there on the power play. He's out there in the top six. He's a big, strong player. So I think that's a new player that fans are still kind of understanding and getting used to. But I think Mikhail Maltsev, definitely a guy who could be someone who challenges to replace for that offense that we lost by uh, losing Samuel Fagimo. Next question we have, question number three, how will younger players manage the opportunities they get? Well, we talked about Francesco Pinelli a little bit. He's one of those younger players that's going to get opportunity. It's going to be up to him to take advantage of that. Josh, there's obviously a few other guys who have joined the roster this year. You know, you look at um, a guy like Samuel Hellanius, who is a returner, but still a pretty young player, uh, all things considered. How are those guys going to be able to manage these opportunities and, and hopefully work themselves a little bit deeper in the lineup? Well, I think the first question is, or the first answer is they're going to have to figure out a way to take advantage of these opportunities because this team is a fun combination of young prospects, guys that are still maybe not considered prospects, but are still young and are fringe NHL players. And then you have the veterans like the Udons, the Tynans, the Hicketts, um, guys like that. So these young players are put in an interesting position where they're going to be relied on um, as very important players to the team. And I think back to one thing that Daryl Evans told me a couple of years ago when we were doing the rookie tournament games together. And what he said about Samuel Hellanius is the guy's so big. He's so good defensively. He's got such a big wingspan. He can poke check the puck away from anybody. Like if he's going to play in the NHL one day, it's going to be because of his penalty killing abilities because he's so good defensively. So he's the type of player that not only is he going to need to do that, but it's step up a little bit. So many of these younger players like Andre Lee, who's who's been a little bit banged up recently, Samuel Hellanius, Martin Chromiak, Frankie Pinelli, like you mentioned, these are players that when you go to the rookie tournament, they take on completely different roles because they're the they're the draft picks. They're a little bit older. Maybe they've been at the rookie tournament before, but then they come back to the rain or the Kings. And they're in a completely different position because they haven't been here very long in the grand scheme of things. I think you want to see them take that opportunity like they have to at the rookie tournament where they're taking on new responsibilities both on and off the ice. And I think that some of these guys are going to get a lot of minutes this year. Um, you know, maybe Frankie Pinelli is playing in a role that he's maybe not familiar with. He's a guy that scored 90 points in the OHL last year. This is going to be a learning curve for him. It's going to be a little bit different. It might take a little bit longer for him to get used to it, similar to how it did for Martin Chromiak last year. But then all those goals came in bursts for Chromiak. Maybe something is going to be similar for Frankie Pinelli. It's about learning about the game, taking on more responsibilities on and off the ice, and learning to adjust to a completely different format and maybe a different play style. And some of these guys are going to have to take advantage of these opportunities because depending on what the Kings roster might look like, and we'll talk about this in a little bit too, that's going to have that trickle-down effect to the rain and in turn down the line to the Greenville Swamp Rabbits as well. So whether it's taking advantage of penalty-killing time, uh, taking advantage of some other opportunities on the power play, um, you know, if you take advantage of those chances, you're going to stick around, you're going to get more minutes, and more importantly, you know, if you excel in those situations – you're going to find yourself moving up the depth chart and maybe one day being in line for a spot with the Kings, obviously, depending on what that roster looks like as well. So these younger guys have the opportunity to learn from the guys that are um, higher up in the in, in the lineup, um, guys that have been around both the organization and just the game for a while. Um, they have to take advantage of it. You know, I'm glad you brought up, obviously, Hellenius. We talked about a bunch, but it's funny when you were talking about him for a second. I did never really thought of this comparison, but I'm surprised I haven't. But I feel like his prototype and the way that he needs to play the game is like a Brian Boyle. Like he needs to be really good in the bottom six. He needs to be able to kill penalties. He needs to be physical, but also like you got to bring a little skill. And I think Brian Boyle is someone who actually, when you look at his numbers, like he had a couple seasons where he put the puck in the net and he was contributing and he was in front of the net on, you know, on, on plays and got a little power play time here and there. And like the, if, if Hellenius could be like what Brian Boyle turned out to be, that would be a home run for, for the LA Kings because he can do all those little things, but also he can skate, like he can get up and down and he can be a part of, a part of the group. So that's uh that's something 
I don't know why I never thought of that before, but uh, that would be well on that point too. I mean, you you look at somebody like Andre Lee, who I mentioned is a little bit banged up right now, but that's kind of the role that he played last year. He debuted for the Rain two years ago after his college season came to a close. Last year was his first you know full season in, in pro hockey, but he's a type of player that was not just a leader on the ice for UMass Lowell in the NCAA, but he was a skill guy. He recorded a lot of points, but he's also massive. He's more of a power forward. So when he plays with the Rain, he's kind of a fourth line winger and plays a different role. But even, you know, Andre Lee has told us before you put the puck on my stick in a place where I can shoot. Like I'm a skill player too. I'm going to take that opportunity and I'm going to score. And you look at the rookie tournament and he's one of the Kings top offensive players this last year. So if you can kind of see Samuel Hellenius go that route as well, the guy is going to be a terrific young hockey player. Both of those guys uh, with roles on this team, Andre Lee technically still on the Kings roster right now, had an injury during the preseason, uh, is still rehabbing that, expected to be back in, in the next couple of weeks, but uh, a guy who has not yet played for the Reign this season. Next question, question number four. Who will be the next player or players to graduate to the LA Kings? I think obviously a number of different answers on this roster, which is why it's so exciting that you have a bunch of different players that are very close. They're knocking on the door. Who's the next batch of guys that we can see in L.A.? I'm glad you said batch because I don't know if there's just one. Um, I think the two very easy answers, both guys who have already played a handful of games for the Kings at the NHL level, is defenseman Brant Clark and forward Alex Turcott. Those are the first two for me. Because Turcotte was a player that I think, especially last year, people talked about whether or not he was going to make the lineup. This year, I think it's more crowded. He's coming back from a little bit of an injury. He was coming back from an injury last year. Um, and and he's a player that, through the preseason, while playing you know, with the Kings, and then having the opportunity to play with the Reign in the preseason as well, he was awesome. And the line that he's been on to start the season has been terrific. They've brought energy. You know, we've seen him with Mikhail Maltsev already, with Martin Kromiak already, and that's a line that so far, it's only been a few games, hasn't dominated games, but has brought the energy level. And every time that line has stepped out on the ice, they have contributed in one way, shape, or form. And a lot of that is surrounding the centerman on that line, who is Alex Turcotte. And then you also think back to last season, he came back from an injury. The rain were in the middle of a 10-game losing streak. They then went on a four-game win streak, and he had the game-winning assist, or he had the primary assist on the game-winning goal in all four games, including an overtime winner. That's the type of player that he is, that when he's been healthy, he's been terrific. And I think they need him to stay healthy. They need him to be consistent. And in the not-so-distant future, he's going to be a player that's going to be called on at the NHL level. And then, of course, Brent Clark played nine games for the Kings last year, really only got an opportunity with the rain because he was on a rehab stint. Um World Juniors, back to the OHL, where if he had played a full season, he might have broken every scoring record for a defenseman ever. That opportunity could have been there for him if he played a full season. But now he's here, and he's a player that I think the Kings kind of thought him and maybe Jordan Spence would go back and forth a little bit, who might take that last spot. And I think that if you're looking at the group of defensemen, um, the first name that that has to be circled is, is Brent Clark to be a part of that group that could go up next. Yeah, no doubt those are the top two guys as far as who we'd expect to get called up first. If there was an injury tomorrow, if it was a defenseman, Brant Clark is your next call-up. If it's a forward, I think it's pretty clear Alex Turcott would be the next guy there from, from a forward perspective. Other guys that I think are starting to sniff that you know may be a little further out but are starting to be on that cusp. Um, I do want to mention Mikhail Maltsev in that group because he is still young. And he is he has some more experience. He's been in the NHL a little bit more, but also I think that because of his experience, he might be a guy that would get that that nod. Uh, Martin Kromiak, we've talked about a bunch already on this episode, but I think Martin Kromiak is starting to get a little closer. Uh, again, I don't think he's the next guy, but I think we're starting to see more and more from him and and have him well round out his game a little bit more welly. So. I think that's starting to be in the discussion for him. Akil Thomas, who had a really great preseason, scored a hat trick in one of the LA Kings preseason games. I think he would be starting to get closer to being in that discussion. And then how could we not include Jacob Doty? Got the opportunity to go to Australia. Todd McClellan said some really nice things about him, said that they've considered maybe bringing him up to an NHL contract. That means he's 
getting a little bit closer. So those are guys a little bit further out on the on the forward end. On the back end, I think you know you always got to look at Jacob Moverari as as a guy who can always be slotted in, uh, and you know he can be there and play at an NHL level. So uh, Moverari for sure uh, on the on the defensive side, and and then in goal, uh, David Riddick is is already been in the NHL for a long time. So if the Kings needed somebody, he's the next call up for sure. Uh, but you know Eric Portillo, a guy that you know right now is the number four goaltender in the in the organization, but is a guy that is still thought of really highly by the LA Kings. Got his first win the other night for the rain, and still a little further back. He just he just turned pro. But uh, the next guy, as far as a younger player that's never been in the NHL, he's he's the next guy up. So that's uh that's kind of a good little overview of who you'd expect uh, maybe if there were Kings need some players that they could call up. But also the Kings have some salary cap issues that we're going to bring up in a little bit that could impact who gets called up and when they do get called up. Our next question is, will anyone else challenge TJ Tynan for the team lead in scoring? Tynan came in, won the MVP his first year with the close to 100-point season. Last year, also the team leader in scoring. Uh, not not quite the same se- season he had the year before, but still an outstandingly dominant season from Tynan. This year, two points from his first four games, had a, a game-winning goal in San Diego, had an assist in Bakersfield. So he's been on the score sheet in both of the rain wins. Not surprising to see that. But Charles Udon with four points in four games early on in the season. Maltsev and Turcotte, Joe Hicketts all with three points for Ontario in the early going. Josh, is there a chance that TJ Tynan isn't the leading scorer this year for the rain? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I think that I mean, it goes without saying, if he's not the best player in the AHL, if not the most consistent player in the league, he is a top five player in this league every year. And it's been that way for a few years. And even if he's not leading the league in points, he's leading the league in points per game. Um, Last year, it was a little bit lower than the year before. But you look at what he's accomplished the last few years. Obviously, when he was in Colorado, he was terrific. His first year with the rain, he was playing with a guy like Martin Furk, who I think obviously helps inflate those point totals a little bit more when you're passing to a guy whose shot is the hardest in the world. Um, not many people are going <laughs> to find a way to get in front of it. And if they do, they're going to do so reluctantly. Um, so it's pretty easy to pass the puck over to him and let him light the lamp. And then it was the same thing last year playing with Leah Anderson. I mean, Leah Anderson, um, no knock on him, but he doesn't have quite the scoring touch that Martin Furk had. But for TJ Tynan, it didn't really matter. And maybe there was a dip a little bit. The team wasn't as good as it was two years ago. Um, and that is just going to happen a little bit. I, I do think that TJ Tynan playing with a guy like Charles Udon, who, like we mentioned earlier, led the league in power play goals last year, is certainly going to help. Um, I think that, especially from a power play perspective, Having players like Brant Clark, maybe at some point in the future, don't want to speculate, but maybe Jordan Spence comes back. Um, Joe Hicketts getting power play time. These are all defensemen who, without a doubt, can just rack up the points, especially on the power play. So you'd like to think that if those guys are scoring points, if it's coming on the power play, odds are Tynan is going to be involved in that. Um, But those are also players that I think if they see an extended period of time with the rain are also going to accumulate a ton of points. I think the next two behind Tynan could possibly be Charles Udon, I think is the early pick for me. Um, And I think defenseman Joe Hicketts is going to be right there too. three players, including Tynan, that are uh, that are veterans at this level, that are proven scorers at this level, um, who I think are going to likely be the team's leaders and goals this year. And I think that if you had some of these younger players um, play the full season, of course, you know, as unfortunate as it is, injuries happen. Obviously, if there's anything with the Kings, some of the younger players might get called up if there's a a roster spot opening. But I think these three guys are guys that are likely going to be with the team all season and will have no problem putting the puck in the back of the net. I agree with you that most likely TJ Tyne will be the leader leading scorer. And I don't think anyone's really challenging him. However, I do want to bring up one thing because I don't think this would happen, but just as a hypothetical, if Brant Clark wasn't an eighth overall pick who the Kings feel obviously is the next generation of defensemen, they clearly have a spot 
planned for him in the NHL in the not-so-distant future. But if he was allowed to play the entire season in Ontario and wasn't going to get called up, would he have more points than TJ Tynan? I say no, but I think that he would be the like second he would. On the I team. think if he was just like left here, which again will never happen, but yeah, he was just left happen, but... left with the rain and said, "Clarky, the whole season you're playing in Ontario. I don't want to hear it. Calm down, kid. You got to play a whole year there." Again, not going to happen. But if it did, I could see him learning the league and developing so quickly, and his skill set is so high that actually I could see him outscoring TJ Tynan if he was here the whole year. It is it is entirely possible. I just think that the way TJ Tynan plays the game and the vision that he has and just the fact that he is a veteran in this league, um, I just I feel like he would still figure out a way to lead the team in goals. And here's here's one more thing. Here's one more thing. He's definitely not leading the team in goals. That's for sure. Well, no, no, lead the team in scoring. Lead the team in scoring. Yeah. Excuse me. The one other thing I'll say is I feel like when TJ Tynan is on the ice, he is a player you have to take note of because he's so fast and he's so good, but he's also an elite distributor of the puck. So I would say I the same like, things for Brant Clark, though. When Brant Clark is on the ice, you have to take. Okay, fair enough. Hold on, hold on. I think that other teams are more committed to shutting down the target man like they already have tried to do with Charles Zudon a little bit on the power play through these first couple of games. You have to prevent the puck from getting to the target man. Tynan is going to get that puck to somebody anyway. And I feel like if Brant Clark spent an entire year with the Ontario Reign, and again, as you have said every time, it's not going to happen. But if he spent an entire year down here, it would get to the point where Brant Clark would turn into a target man, especially on special teams. And I think that teams would try their absolute hardest to take him out of the play rather than Tynan. Because if Tynan's got the puck on his stick and can't pass it to someone, he's still going to look for somebody. Maybe he'll take the shot, whatever. But if Brant Clark can't touch the puck, then that's just the way that I would see it going down in this insane hypothetical. Well, very insane hypothetical, but glad we brought it up uh, nonetheless. <laughs> Me too. It's fun. <laughs> um, we will move on to question number six. What will the breakdown of the goaltending be for the rain? They have started the season with two goaltenders on the roster. Again, there is no roster limit. They could add to that if they want. Obviously, they're going to have a minimum of two the entire season. We've got David Riddick and Eric Portillo in the first four games of the season. We've kind of gotten our answer. David Riddick has played three. Eric Portillo has played one. I do think that it may not have taken as long for us to see Portillo if Riddick had won one of the first two games. I think they may have said we got to get Portillo in there uh, a little bit earlier, but I think the rain really wanted to get that win under their belt. They went with the veteran. They went with the guy they trust the most in David Riddick. He did produce that win for them in the third game of the season in San Diego and Portillo who had gotten a win in San Diego during the preseason with the LA Kings so far one for one got in against Bakersfield on the road, allowed two goals, but got the win uh, making 15 saves on 17 shots. So kind of funny. He only allowed two goals. His, his goals against is a 2.0, but uh, only saw 17 shots. So save percentage is just 88%, which obviously is uh, below the mark that you want to want to have. But uh, Josh, I think, that kind of answers our our question already, but you know, how do we see the goaltending being split up? Well, I, I think you're right. I think what we've kind of seen so far is what we'll get this year. I do want to address the point that you made about you know if Riddick had won on opening night, we might have seen Portillo earlier than Game Four. Um, and I think look no further than a team that has a very similar goaltending situation to the Ontario Reign, and that's the San Diego Goals. Alex Stalock, like David Riddick, is an NHL caliber goalie that has spent the last handful of years playing in the NHL. The, the the backup, we'll say, the backup, the number two, is a rookie, Callie Klang, very similar to Eric Portillo. And the dynamic between those two goalies on both sides is different in play styles, but very similar in wh what it looks like for the roster and the team going forward. San Diego has the veteran win on opening night. The rookie plays on Sunday. And I think that maybe we would have got a different 
um, a different, you know, trickle down effect if the rain had won on opening night. But I do think ultimately the answer would be the same. I think Riddick is expected to be the number one and Portillo will still get a lot of games because certainly he's the, the organization's top goalie prospect. You need him to play a lot of minutes and to get a lot of games and to see a lot of shots. And I think that he absolutely will do that this season. But if the rain want to compete for a Calder Cup and they want to compete for the division title and they want to go on a long run this year, I think you have to expect David Riddick to be the guy. And the one other thing that I would say to this point is Eric Portillo's young. He is a very talented, big, young goaltender out of out of Sweden, out of the University of Michigan, where he led the Wolverines to back to back Big Ten titles, back to back Frozen Four appearances as the guy. Right. He was the guy. This is the first time in a really long time for him where he's not necessarily going to be the number one. And I think that's really important for him, especially as a rookie, to come in and not just have somebody who's been in the league for a little while, but to have a guy who is a legitimate NHL goalie and David Riddick be the guy who is his goal, his goalie partner. And on top of that, we've heard this a lot from especially the Swedish players, but it's nice to have other Europeans in the organization in a similar role to you. So the fact that you have two European goaltenders, one who is a veteran of the AHL, one who's a veteran of the NHL, who is likely going to see the load of the work this year between the pipes for the rain, who can also kind of mentor and help the young rookie from Sweden as in his first season. I think that's an incredible dynamic for the organization to have. And I think it's good that Portillo is not expected to be the main guy this year. And I think that's really going to help in the long run. Yeah. And honestly, you know, you'd ask Marco Sturm and I'm sure he would say it's up to Eric Portillo. If he looks like yeah. he's ready to take on more of the load, if he's playing well, then I'm sure they're going to look to rest David Riddick at some point. Like they don't want him playing every game. They want him to be fresh, especially if the Kings end up needing Riddick, they want him to be prepared. So he's going to have to, Riddick's going to have to be the guy, but also they're not going to want to play him every single night. And so if Eric Portillo is coming in and looking like he's really good and looking like he's earning more and more, then that's what he'll get because obviously the development of Eric Portillo as a young prospect is a high priority for the organization. But number one priority is making sure that Riddick is available in case there's an injury, in case you know we have a situation like last year where Cal Peterson needed to come back to the AHL to work on his game. If that happens to one of the two goaltenders with the Kings – David Riddick's got to be ready to go. So he's going to have the priority mm -hmm. first, and then the development of Portillo comes after that. Next question, number seven out of ten. Getting there. How will the LA Kings roster situation impact the rain roster? And the answer is obviously a lot. It always impacts the rain <laughs> roster, no matter what's going on. Specifically this year, the Kings were extremely tight to the cap when the season started. They only had 21 players on their opening night roster. One of them was Arthur Kaliev, who was suspended, so they were literally just playing with whatever they could find, which was 11 forwards and 7 defense. However, after an injury to Victor Arvidsson, they now have some cap relief because he is on long-term injured reserve. They were able to bring back Alex LaFerriere. They were able to bring back Jared Anderson Dolan, who both started with the rain on their opening night roster. And now that those guys are back in the NHL, uh, the Kings are, they have a little bit of room to navigate. However, when Arvidsson returns, uh, we're not sure how long he's going to be out, but it, when he, if, and when he returns, then they're going to be right back up to that cap again. And the rain could, could get a couple extra guys. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, we recorded an episode very early in the summer. I want to say it was either right after the season ended, or it was right around the time of the NHL draft. And I think that this is a conversation we had after the podcast that was not recorded, I think it was with Jesse Cohen. I could be wrong, but you and I had kind of said like, who's going to, who is there anyone who could challenge for a spot on the LA Kings roster? And the answer was kind of no, but it's because they've got too many guys. Like, it's not like none of these guys are good enough. It's, is there even a spot available? And we both kind of said, I mean, but wouldn't it be crazy if Alex LaFerriere was that good through camp and took a spot? And my goodness, do I wish we recorded that because we would look so smart right now. Somewhere I told this to Jesse the other day. Somewhere there's a recording of me saying I think Lafariere could see, maybe steal a spot. See, but you remember this? Con maybe it maybe it was recorded. Well, and I, don't I, know, know I was on another episode uh, with Jack Jablonski where that question was kind of posed. I think it was ten questions for training camp, 
So somebody who's crazy might want to look it up. But anyway, I think that question was posed and it was like, well, there's no room. But if there was. But yeah, but <laughs> but it could maybe in a weird, strange world, it could be Alex LaFerriere. Yeah. And and we both kind of agreed on that. And, and here we are. So well, again, he's and the reason that- just even though he's not on the rain right now, just the, the reason why just to kind of elaborate on that. Why are we saying that? Why are people saying that? Because. He was older. Like he he comes mm-hmm. in from college. He's not as young as a guy like Brant Clark. He's not as young he's as a guy. 18, yeah. He's not Francesco Pinelli, like who comes right out of yeah, Francesco Pinelli had an amazing season last year. But you know, when you look at Laferriere's body type, the way he plays, the way he shoots the puck, the way he plays in a straight line, you understand why he would fit in with an NHL team and he just looks more developed and looked more ready. I mean, you look at last year when he joined the Reign. He started on the fourth line, and one period later, he was already on the first on line, the top line with time. Yeah. So you can see why he was – Marco Sturm went from not even knowing who the heck this guy was. One period later, he gets all the trust. He's out there for, <laughs> for every other shift. He's out there. And, I mean, that's kind of like what it was with Todd McClellan. I'm sure at the beginning, Todd McClellan was like, I don't know who this kid is. He, he wasn't in Australia with our group. He's not part of our group. Well, all of a sudden, you watch a couple of the games he played in the preseason when the Australian group – was not ready to return. You watch him when he got integrated into that group. You watch him start to earn more, start to be more responsible in in all three zones, and all of a sudden, now I don't know if the Kings can go without him at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's gotten to that point. I think there is certainly a chance that he sees some time with the Ontario Reign this year. Obviously, going into the year, we thought he was going to. We thought that he was either going to be on a line with Turcotte like he was in the preseason game, just lighten it up. Maybe he was going to be with Tynan, just lighten it up. He is a guy that actually, if he was on the roster for a full season, I would say would challenge Tynan for the scoring lead. Like, I legitimately think he's that good, yeah. and especially if he played with somebody like Tynan. Because like you mentioned, like his body type, the way he plays his shot, he's like a power forward that's incredibly fast and has this blistering shot. So he's the type of player that could do that. I don't want to rule it out. I think it is possible. But again, you know, when Victor Arvidsson comes back for the Kings at some point, likely that means somebody's going to go down. Not sure who it's going to be, but somebody's going to go down. There's the, of course, as we mentioned a few times, Frank Clark's probably not playing a full season with the Ontario Reign. He'll go up. Somebody else is going to come down. Um, and there's a, a handful of players that we could list, but that's just, there are so many guys that are kind of in that category where they are pretty legit NHL players and the Kings just have too many guys. So somebody's going to come down and play. And there are a lot of guys that are still waiver exempt that can still kind of go back and forth. So there are just a lot of guys who are at that level in their careers or at their play styles and in their development that maybe, maybe there's just not a spot for yet. Yeah, And, and it also doesn't help those guys when Alex LaFerriere takes one of those spots pretty early on. Well, there's always, you know, we know at the AHL level, there's always going to be, injuries that make that the answer to this question is just how many injuries do the Kings have? And for how long are these guys going to be out? Yeah. But this mm-hmm. year it's different because this year you have the cap coming into play so frequently and like the cap, the Kings were kind of up against the cap last year, but not like this. So yeah. it's, you know, that's where it gets a little bit tricky at times. If everyone's healthy, they can't fit everyone in there. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, Jared Anderson, Dolan, is a guy who hasn't played a ton of games at the NHL level this year because Ferrier jumped over him and took that spot. But uh, if he were ever to come back in the AHL, man, that would be an amazing player to have. And the question would be, you know, would he be on the winger at the center? Because the Rain are pretty full up the middle, but Anderson Dolan's a pretty good center. So, uh, oh, yeah. you know, that would be something that, that would obviously be interesting to see if he would ever make it back to the Rain, which is where he did start for a very brief couple practices uh, during the beginning of this season. We now move to question number eight, which is, will the team continue to be in the top 10 in special teams on both the power play and the penalty kill? The Rain had a historically good power play during the 21-22 season when they did have Martin Furk on their roster for most of the year. Last year, the power play was good, not as good as it was the year before, but the penalty kill jumped into the second best penalty kill in the AHL last season. Ontario was top 10 in both categories for the first time in team history last year. Can they do it again this year, Josh? I think that the answer, it depends on how quickly the defensive, um, those defensive miscues that we saw those first couple of games um, are solved. And they're going to happen. They're going to happen for anybody at any level. 
Um, and we have already seen through the first two games and kind of the third game in San Diego, it was a little bit of a different situation on the penalty kill. But those first two games, the defense was not good at even strength or on special teams. Um, and in these last two games, it's solved itself a little bit. The team has looked really good on pen, uh, on the penalty kill. David Riddick told us the other night after the game in San Diego that, sure, they gave up the power play goal earlier in the game, but at the end of the game, they came up with a couple of massive kills. Even with the extra skater on at the end of the game, the rain came up with massive kills and and uh, and won the game. I, I think that, at least on the penalty kill, it's going to sort itself out. And the team has the personnel, has the returning, you know, penalty killers that are going to be really good to make that another top 10 penalty kill in the league. Um, The power play is something that I think if you simply looked at the roster and you looked at the lineup, the overwhelming answer would be yes, absolutely. That is easily a top 10, if not a top five power play in the league. But as Marco Sturm has told us a few times, it is going to take some work because when you miss a guy like Samuel Fagimo teeing up one-timers from the left circle, that's going to be a problem because two years ago it was Martin Furk. How do you replace him? You put Samuel Fagimo there. Well, now it's the, who do you replace Samuel Fagimo with? And right now it's been Martin Kromiak at the left circle. But also something to keep in mind is the Rain have kind of had this play or a few plays that they've drawn up on the power play the last few years. And now that has to change because your trigger man on the power play is now a lefty shooter in, in Charles Zudon. So now does that play change? Do they completely scrap that play and try something else? Because this has been an Ontario Rain power play that's been a little bit predictable, but has been so good the last two years. How does that change? And right now, Marco Sturm has admitted, we're working out personnel, we're working out formations, we're working out different plays. That's going to be how it's going to be just to start the season. So I think by the end of the year, yes, both the power play and the penalty kill will be top 10 in the league. And we will see them start to figure it out, I think, sooner rather than later. Well, through four games, an extremely small sample size, uh, the Reign are number 12 on the power play. They're, they're just under 20%, about 19%. If that stays that way, they'll probably be right around that you know 10 range, uh, at around that 20% mark. That's a good mark. Penalty mm-hmm. kill. The good thing is that the rain have not taken too many penalties. Ontario has had 21 power play advantages, but they've only given their opponents 10. I mean, that that to me is unbelievable. San Diego had nine power play chances in the first three games, and then Bakersfield had two, so 11. 11 power play uh, opportunities for the rain opponents in the first four games. Unfortunately, they've allowed four goals, so... Uh, they are in last as of as of this recording, 63%. But again, four games in, totally fine. Not something, I mean, something you have to worry about, but not something that can't be fixed. I think the personnel is there. And give San Diego some credit. I mean, they had some, some really nice execution on their power play. They scored four times in the three-game series against Ontario to win two of those three games. And a uh, lot, of, lot of season to go. But definitely I agree with you that the team is capable of being in the top ten. But it's really hard to do. It's really hard mm-hmm. to do. So I'm not sure if they're going to do it, but um, we'll have to find out. Uh, the next question is something that we don't know the answer to, and we will not know the answer to until later in the season. But will any other prospects in the pipeline join the team at some point? And we're talking about guys who have been drafted by the LA Kings, but they are not on the roster. I mean, last year, Brant Clark joined the reign again for a five-game sample size, but it was in November when he came down. Uh, later in the season, the Rain were able to get Alex LaFerriere in after he finished up at Harvard. They signed Cole Krieger after a trade. They traded for Krieger's rights from the Florida Panthers. So it's usually, you know, they get a couple guys in at the end of previous seasons. So would there be anybody that joined the Rain? We don't know. But there are a number of players who could. And, you know, the guys that the Kings have to make decisions on, uh, there's a couple of them overseas and a couple of them in college. Yeah, and I think that um, these last couple of seasons uh, in 2021-22 and then last season, uh, there were college players that we thought when we get to the end of the season and their seasons end, th- those are players that are going to play for the rain at the end of the year. We had we, we thought Alex LaFerriere would be there when the Kings made the trades last year to acquire Eric Portillo from the Sabres. And when they acquired the draft rights to Cole Krieger, those were guys we thought 
they will play for the rain at the end of the season. The year before, there were a few guys that came over from uh, from Europe. Uh, there was also Andre Lee, who was a draft pick. We knew he was going to play for them at the, at the end of the year. Immediately when there was talks of signing a free agent, we knew Taylor Ward was going to come and play for the rain at the end of the year. Of course, he wasn't in the pipeline going into that season. This year for me, I'm not super sure about the the college players that, that are currently in the King system. I think obviously that can change in the same way that it did with Taylor Ward, who was signed as a free agent at the end of his season. Uh, Portillo and Krieger, who were both, you know, acquired in trades. That could certainly happen. But at least as of the pipeline right now, some of the guys that are playing college are still pretty young. So I'm not sure if that's going to change. Of course, the way that these guys play this next season, which, of course, college hockey is what, two weekends in most teams have played between two and four games. Um, that could change by the end of the year. But for me, a few of the guys that stand out are some of these players that the Kings are going to need to make decisions on coming over from Europe. One of them is Atu Yamsen, who's played at the rookie tournament the last few years. Um, uh, he's played some big minutes too. This year he came over and scored a couple of goals um, and was an important player um, for the Kings at the rookie faceoff both this year and the year before. He's a player that at some point um, I think we can expect to be over here. Not sure what type of role he would play, um, at least as of right now. Of course, we're only four games in, but he's a player that might come over at the end of the year. And then I think there's a couple of these guys from from, you know, the Canadian leagues. Uh, if you look at um, some of the guys that are playing um, in the OHL or um, or the WHL, um, you know, some of these guys are still pretty young. But even last year, we thought if the rain advanced to the second round of the playoffs, Frankie Pinelli might come and play at the end of the season. So um, I think it's certainly possible um, that we get some of these guys from the OHL, the WHL, the QMJHL any of these Canadian leagues, but at least for me, it's hard to, to pinpoint anybody right away other than Yomsen, who's played already professionally in Europe and his season started before the rookie tournament even began in Vegas this year. A couple guys that we could see, uh, Braden Doyle is actually a player who was drafted in 2019, which is kind of crazy to think he was in the same draft as Andre Lee, Jordan Spence, Samuel Fagimo, Arthur Kaliev, Tobias Bjornfoot, Alex Turcott. Those guys have all turned pro. A lot of them are regular NHLers. Or, um, Braden Doyle is with Northeastern this year and you know is a, is a candidate once the season ends uh, to either turn pro with the Kings or could sign anywhere if he waits all the way until August. Um, so that's, that's an option. Ben Meehan is at UMass Lowell. He was teammates with Andre Lee. Uh, he had a pretty good season last year, was at development camp this past summer and would be another guy who could turn pro at the end of the college season. You mentioned Yomsen as being a definitely a good candidate. Another player who is Finnish native is a Simon as a Casper Simon Tyvel, uh, who was also at development camp this year. If the Kings want to bring him over and get him signed, uh, or if he would like to sign with the Kings, um, that could be a player that might join the rain down the stretch. I know he's pretty good friends with Sammy Hellenius. Those guys have played in Finland together on the world junior teams for, for Finland. Uh, and then you got Angus Booth who played with the LA Kings during training camp booth in the, uh, QMJHL this year. And, uh, a guy who, you know, obviously has a pretty high upside as a fourth round pick from a couple of seasons ago. He's another option. And then you know, never know. Maybe Cohen Zemer comes over and plays a couple games at the end of the season. Uh, or maybe Jacob Dvorak comes over and plays a couple games as a younger player. But he is signed by the L.A. Kings. He could be brought over um, for a few games if they wanted late in the season. Those ones will kind of kick down the road as that wouldn't be coming into play until later on in the year. But always good to keep that in mind and uh, something that we would definitely be, you know, be aware of if you're someone who's looking at the roster. So. Brings us to our final question of the 10 questions for the 23-24 Ontario Reign season. And, you know, the last couple of years we said, will the Reign make the playoffs? And, you know, that's a fair question because they could miss it. But this year, I've changed it a little bit. Will the Reign make it out of the first round of the Pacific Division postseason? Because so many teams make it the Pacific Division postseason. If the Reign don't make it, well, we got a lot more questions because that would be a colossal failure of a season because of how many teams actually do make it. Uh, the fact is they should make it, but will they get past round one? Two years ago they did. They beat the San Diego Gulls, but then lost to Colorado. Last year it was a loss to Colorado in that first round when the team was on the road, had competitive games with the Eagles, 
but were unable to win either of them. Couldn't get out of the first round. Josh, do you think they can do it this year? I do. And I think I, I thought that last year as well. Um, but you look at the way that this year's team is kind of built. And again, you know, a callback to the question about the Kings roster and how that affects the rain. Um, I think that that is in some ways it's a negative in other ways. It's a huge positive when guys could come back down um, from the LA Kings. It, it, the other thing that stands out to me is the way that this organization has kind of focused on bolstering its prospect pool, but also, you know, adding to the depth at the AHL level as well, which maybe wasn't the case last year. It really wasn't the case two years ago, even though the team was awesome. So I think that this year's team, like I mentioned earlier, is is a little bit more built to win playoff games or at least win games more consistently than last year's team was. And again, I know that that sample size is really easy, but through these first couple of games and the rain and their two losses, there were glaring mistakes. There were glaring mistakes that Marco Sturm addressed told us these are the things we want to correct. These are the things we want to work on when we have a couple of days off here and come into these next two games, both road games. And those two games were both wins. They were both narrow wins. They were both games where the rain scored their clutch goals when they needed to. And they kind of grinded out the wins at the end. They won games and adapted to different play styles when they needed to do that. And they corrected the glaring mistakes that Marco Sturm told us they needed to correct. Those are very early signs for me of a team that's built to win a lot of games. They might not blow out everybody. They might not score a thousand goals. They might not lead the league in power play percentage again or penalty killing percentage, but they're a team that I think is built to be consistent and win a lot of games. And for me, I'll say, yes, I think that culminates in at least a trip to the second round this year. I think this is an oversimplification. This is kind of a joke, but maybe the answer to this question depends on the health of not only the LA Kings, not only the Ontario Reign as a team, but Jacob Doty. Because when Jacob Doty is in the lineup for Ontario, they win games. Look no further than this this first two weeks of the season. Doty missed the first weekend, wasn't in the lineup. Reign lost both games. He comes back, they win both games. They're looking way better. They're looking like a formidable team. Last year, again, Small sample size, but you can just look at it and see the difference. He played nine games before his season-ending injury, including the first game of the year, which was an unbelievable 8-2 win over Abbotsford. Ontario, in the beginning of the season, they did lose a few of those games. They weren't undefeated, but they came out, got a shutout win in Colorado, defeated San Jose on the road, smoked San San Diego back-to-back, beat Henderson, they only lost to Bakersfield and one of the games in Colorado. And then they eventually lost the game that Doty was injured in, in San Jose. But when he's been in the lineup, this team knows that this team can win. They, they have more confidence and they're just a better all around team for whatever reason. When Jacob Doty's in the lineup, it could be coincidental because there's not a ton of evidence backing this up. He's obviously not playing the most minutes out there, but for whatever reason, when he's healthy, this team has its legs underneath them, and I, I hope for their sake that he can stay healthy because he does make a big difference just with confidence level on the bench, intimidating the other teams, and not even necessarily fighting. But, you know, even in Bakersfield the other night, he didn't fight. But he ran around, and he had a couple good shifts, and he was hitting guys, and he was effective on the fourth line and the forecheck, and he man- helps manage the bench. He helps keep the young guys calm. He helps keep the veterans calm. So I think that if Jacob Doty is in the lineup, and everybody else is pretty generally healthy, there's a chance the rain can can make a run here. And two of those things, or one, I guess one of those things that Marco Sturm told us was a glaring miscue or something that was definitely lacking from those first two losses of the season was that the team had a general lack of team toughness. And he said, and that doesn't just mean we need Jacob Doty to go out there and get a fight. What does happen, though, is they worked on being stronger as a team, being tougher to play against, being better on the forecheck, being better in their own end, all of those things that he classified as quote unquote team toughness. He said, we're going to work on those things this week. He said, we came out, we were better at that both Friday and Saturday in San Diego and Bakersfield. But also Jacob Doty returned to the lineup and he brings his own wave of toughness with him. And it's not just getting in a fight. It's throwing a hip check, um, being strong on the forecheck, um, 
getting in somebody's way when they skate down the ice. He's like, these are all the things that we classify as toughness. And you add that to the things that we needed to improve on. And we win two hockey games, two close, very tightly, um, very, you know, tightly contested and competitive games. We win those because we're tougher. And we also get the baddest dude in the league back in the lineup. So that's it's an interesting it's an interesting take. And for whatever reason, the rain have been pretty good when he's healthy and when he's in the lineup. All right. Well, that'll wrap up our 10 questions for the 2023-24 season. Josh, thanks as always. And we encourage everyone to continue to, to subscribe if you haven't. And also check in with our game day podcast. We will be having a couple of them this week. The Reign of three games this upcoming week. They've got uh, games in Coachella Valley and Henderson. And then a home game coming up on Sunday against the uh, Abbotsford Canucks. The first battle between Ontario and Abbotsford for Dia de Muertos night in Ontario. Josh, thank you very much. We will look forward to some excellent hockey this weekend. Yep, looking forward to it. Got a couple of games coming up and uh, a couple of games you can watch live on AHL TV. 